Okay, well, today we have Michelle Gaskin, who's um, live on Zoom, so this isn't a recording, um, which is kind of a treat, because I think that she'll be listening to the Holy Spirit and kind of giving us some real-time things that we need. Uh, Michelle was a member of our body. Uh, I forgot to ask her when she actually came to Faith Community, but it was probably in the later 80s. And she served on worship with Matt and I and, you know, discipled people and just parts of house groups. Um, just a really solid loving, Christ-loving member, <laughs> and has continued to be a good friend. Uh, she uh, met Paul Gaskin um, online, and uh, anyways, eventually met him when Matt and I were taking a sabbatical over in England with Dave Day, and uh, then she took another sabbatical, and the relationship evolved, and she ended up marrying an Englishman. <laughs> And so uh, I think about 2001, they got married, and that also meant moving over to England. Um, and she's, they've been on a journey over there. Um, and recently, as some of you know, Paul has passed. Um, and so a number of us watched the life celebration for her husband. And I just wanted to share that when Scott was watching it, he really felt like the Lord said that Michelle had something to deposit in our body. Um, and I know that he probably gave her the title Cost of Discipleship, and we're in Luke, and this is what we're doing. But I just sort of kind of listen and see what the Holy Spirit sparks to you, because I just believe in faith that um, Scott's heart was being kind of prodded by the Holy Spirit, and that uh, there's, some, there's pieces, there's things that Michelle's going to carry today that are deposits that are going to help us grow, help us stand. Help us continue loving the Lord. So, um, welcome, Michelle. I'm really glad you're doing this. Uh, we love you, and uh, take it away. Those are the things that 
she wanted me to speak on, I thought, oh dear. <laughs> um, that's one of those ones I try not to read. <laughs> it just is a hard passage, and um, it doesn't kind of like have the warm fuzzy feel of the Psalms that I like to gravitate towards. So um, anyway, let's have a look at it. It's Luke chapter 9, verses 21 to 27. And I think Scott put this title as The Cost of Discipleship, which I didn't know until this morning, so I'm not sure that's what it's going to be called in the end, but we'll see. Um, in, if you have it in your Bibles and you are turned there, like we can read it together. I think I'm reading it out of the NIV. Um, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone, and he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed, and on the third day he raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Yea, that was um that was Jesus that kind of is sternest, I think, you know. Um I guess sometimes I forget that he often confronted people pretty head on. So like I think in the most literal sense, this passage is Jesus having a conversation with his disciples and he's he's telling them that he's gonna suffer and die and he's gonna go to the cross and another third day he's gonna raise from the dead. Um, and then he goes on to tell them that they want to follow him, they're probably going to face a similar fate. Um, they'll be martyred, being his follower. And um, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that 10 of the original 12 disciples actually went upside down. And, you know, I think some of them were put in. I don't know if they were put in boiling oil or maybe that was some other some other martyrs, but um, the only two who didn't face martyrdom were Judas, who took his own life, and um, John, who I think some people think that he might still be alive, living in a cave in Patmos somewhere. I don't know if that's true or not, but. You know, I think they said the passage where it says some of you won't chase death. Um, I think that in the Gospel of John, I think John thought he might be one of those people. So anyway, um, the tone of this passage is quite intense. I mean, the words are direct, they're confrontational. Um, he wasn't mincing his words, he was being quite, quite frank with them. So I think this is a, a passage with a significant conversation Jesus was having with his disciples, but what does it hold for us today? Does it, does it hold anything for us today? 
Um, and as so I've been looking at the passage I'm pondering, I've been thinking about it a lot, and I have questions that come up, and that's kind of my thought process. Sometimes I probably learn that from my husband, who, um, before we'd have a cup of coffee in the morning together, he probably had a thousand million thoughts, and most of them were fairly brilliant. Um, he, was, he was quite a contemplator, and, and he wasn't afraid to question the process ever. I mean, he just, he, he was a scientist, so that was part of his job, was to look at all, all problems from all sorts of angles and look at all the all possibilities. So, like, the questions, I think questions are good. Some people feel threatened by them because you don't, if you don't have answers, you don't have a nice, tidy package at the end. But I think questions really are good because they cause us to look deeper and to look beyond the obvious. So one of the questions I had as I looked at this was, if Jesus went to the cross and he died and he conquered death and he conquered sin and sickness and he rose from the dead, why would he tell us to pick up our cross and he already do that? I don't know if I have an answer for that. I think I'm still kind of chewing that one over. Why would he, why would he have us do that? But yeah, obviously, he told us who we would, who would like us to pick up our cross. Um, sorry, I'm turning my page over. There we go. Um, so, I think picking the, the idea of picking up our cross often has a metaphorical meaning of choosing to follow Jesus. I think that the idea of following Jesus is an everyday thing. Our ability to do something. And the yes is what's important. Um, and I just have one little simple illustration of my own personal um, experience I had with this, and I'm still having with it. I have to pick up my cross a lot. Um, I felt like the Lord told me that he wanted me to be friends with somebody, and I didn't want to. I, I didn't really want this person as a friend, um, because in my view she was quite dysfunctional, and carried a lot of baggage. She was manipulative, um, didn't have boundaries, and she was pretty stuck in her own stuff, and I just didn't really want her to be, I didn't really want to be friends with her, but I felt like the Lord had asked me to do that, and so I said, okay, I will do that. Um, and that was probably a couple of years ago, and to be honest, um, I wish I could say we're like great mates and everything. I think she thinks I'm a really good friend, but I still feel very challenged to be her friend. It's not an easy thing because I feel like when we get together, most of the time I'm trying to keep the boundaries in place um, and to, to um, deflect off the manipulation. But because and I'm not really sure, I may never know until I get, you know, go to the other side of the veil, um, why Jesus feels this important that I 
try to do that. Um, even though I don't even feel very successful at it, I don't feel like that great of a friend because it's not a natural um, relationship or a natural, I'm not like, I don't feel like we have a lot in common. Um, but he, it's important to him that I said yes. And this is, this is a little cross. I mean, it's not a very big one at all. It's just a little cross. But he, wanted, he wants me to carry that. Um, and as I was also preparing for this talk, I, I had a couple other passages that kind of came to mind. And I felt like they were important to kind of connect with the idea of carrying a cross. So one of them is Galatians 2.20, which you're probably very familiar with. Um, but I'd like us to look at it. This is, this is coming from the Passion Translation, and I don't know if you're familiar with it. We're in the, U in the U.S., um, but I know it's very popular in the U.K. right now. Um, it, it says in Galatians 2.20 from the Passion, My old identity has been co-crucified with Christ and no longer lives. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine, but the Anointed One lives his life through me. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered by the faith in the Son of God, who loves me so much that he gave himself for me, dispensing his life into mine. So, I don't know, that just really kind of hit me that you know, my old identity was crucified with Christ. It no longer, it no longer lives, but it's about our being one with him. That when, when he, when we connect with giving ourselves to him, we are not in it alone. He lives in us, and he gives us the power and the strength to pick up our cross and follow him daily. I mean, I, I find that incredibly encouraging because the thought, you know, like, could I pick up a cross physically? Probably not. And some of them in the spirit feel even heavier than that. And there's no way that, even if I'm willing to, there's no way I can pick it up. So it, it's been a great encouragement and comfort for me to know that um, he will pick it up with me, and he'll walk with me in it. I don't have to do it alone. And carrying a cross isn't a punishment. You know, I mean, I think a lot of I think there is some
work that they're doing together, but it's about them being united and being in union because you can't pull in opposite directions. You have to pull together. Um, so, so that's another verse that came to my mind about, about this passage. Um, and I think it's really, really, really good because, you know, the two animals work as one. But if they're united, it's, it is about union. So um, we're not alone. God is good. This is good news. We're one with him. 1 Corinthians 6:17, one of my favorite verses. Um, he who is joined the, with the Lord is one spirit with him. It's like we're, we're like two pieces of paper that are glued together. And you can't tear that apart without destroying either piece of paper. They don't come. You know, we're, we're one with him, and that's a commitment he's made to us. So when we say yes to him, he's already, he's already there with us. Um, so I'm going to just share a bit of my journey with you um, over the, you know, hopefully, hopefully it'll be encouraging. Um, it may be enlightening. It might be challenging. I don't know. Um, you might find that some of my strategies would not be things that you would ever think of doing or that you may even agree with. Um, but that's okay. I think we're all big people and we can make room for each other and honor each other in it. And I honor your journey. I hope you honor mine. Um, it hasn't been an easy couple years. In 2018, my husband Paul was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease slash multiple system atrophy, which is a horrible disease. It basically was Paul's body shutting down. And I saw him go from being a, a a pretty much a healthy person to um, just saw him deteriorate particularly over the last year to someone who couldn't move from the bed to the chair um, he couldn't he had difficulty speaking and he had really hard times um, swallowing and basically his quality of life was just really not not good it was it was very hard and um, when he became unwell, what happened was that I then became not only his carer, primary carer, um, which was hard, but it was also privilege. You know, I mean, that's that's part of the vows you take when you get married, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health. And um, so it was a privilege to be able to do that, but at the same time, it was hard. It was overwhelming at days. And, you know, I was, I was not just his carer, but I was also then, I became the only one who cooked, <laughs> um, unless someone brought us a meal. Um, you know, I had to look, oversee the garden and I had to oversee all the cleaning and, you know, everything that really was related to the house. I was the only responsible for and um, my plate felt really full. Yeah, it just felt really full. And then on top of it last year, um, I was also diagnosed with a recurrence of cancer. So it, it just was like, you know, I'm so glad I wasn't walking this alone because, you know, there's some days I just had to say, I can pick up my cross. No, I can't. <laughs> Jesus, you're going to have to carry it with me. You're going to have to carry it for me. 
and I know that he did. Um, so I just wanted to share some of the practical coping things that I did. And, and I know that we all face different challenges in life and we all face different things that God asks us to do. And like I said, I don't think it's even our ability to do them. It's more the yes of our heart that we choose to trust him and follow him wherever that's going to lead. So my first thing that I would say is that God's good and that every thought and every intention of his heart toward us is good. He never has bad intentions toward us. It's always goodness. It's always good stuff. Yeah. Um, he never has a bad hair day, like me. And he never gets up on the wrong side of bed. He's always in a good mood. He's always thinking good things about us. And um, I, one thing I've done in the past is I just like to sit on the Father's lap. And I feel like he's, you know, it says in Psalm 139 how all his thoughts toward us outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. And I, and I like to think of that as like, I, he's got a photo album with, with pictures of me in it, and we can sit together and look at those snapshots. They're like the grains of sand. And he can, I can listen to him tell me what his thoughts are toward me. And sometimes we just need to hear that, don't we? We just need to hear, I'm for you. I love you. You're my favorite. You're so special to me. There's nothing I would not do for you. And that's just something that, you know, is something that's so core to what um, Paul and I were about in the last 10 years. We used to do Father Heart schools around the UK and um, helping people to engage with God as Father. And that's my second point is that God's a good dad. Um, some of us in our earthly experiences don't have that kind of connection with our Father um, because our dads weren't there for us or they weren't a good dad. And even if they were a good dad, they're not as good as the Father in heaven. And we walked a journey of really helping people to connect. And I mean, even for me, I had to connect because I found that my own image of God as father was my earthly father superimposed on God. And as much as I loved my dad and he is a good, he was a good father, he was a good provider. He was also very authoritarian. And when he said, jump, you said, how high? and. So when I thought of God as my father, I thought of him being like the cop in the sky and the one that would tell me what to do. And, you know, you don't cross that, you just do it. And then as I got to know him as the loving father, I found out that he really, he wasn't that authoritarian. You know, he was the boss, but he was a loving boss and a kind boss. And so knowing God as Father to me is really a key thing. Um, and I think it's shaped, it's shaped a, lot of, a lot of the values I hold in my heart um, about God come from the fact that he's good and that he's a loving Father. 
And then I, the third thing for me is that one of the mantras, I know maybe we're not supposed to have them, but it's just a phrase, um, comes from the words of Julian of Norwich, who was a, a saint, um, one of the saints of old, um, who lived in Norwich, England. You can go and you can go and see the room that she stayed in. She was kind of a hermit. Um, but one of the things that she said, and all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be exceedingly well. And when I got my diagnosis for cancer, I just kind of like was like, okay, what next, you know? Um, but this thing about all shall be well started to really settle in my spirit. And even as I was kind of praying one night, I was laying in bed and just kind of going, you know, God, what it, what is this all about? And it was kind of like I was in the in the heavenly place. I was in a heavenly place. I wasn't just on earth, but I was seeing things from a heavenly perspective. And what I saw was the earthly diagnosis, but what I saw was the heavenly blueprint. And it was being superimposed over the earthly diagnosis. And the, the passage from Psalm 16 about the boundary lines have fallen in good and pleasant places. You have a delightful inheritance. And I just felt like, you know, all shall be well. <laughs> and I say it to myself a lot. Um, I wish I could remember to say it when I really like I'm stressed out because I often don't say it till I settle down. But I've also like people that have sometimes posted on Facebook and they're in distress or you know, they've got a test coming up or whatever, they're facing something. And I just, I just like, I usually say, Lord, what should I say before I like respond back? But a lot of times I just get that all shall be well. So I just speak that out over people and I speak it out over myself. And I, and I just encourage you find a mantra, find your mantra and start declaring it over yourself in your situation, in your cross that you're having to carry. Um, all shall be well. So a fourth way that I've, I did this um, is very similar to the L Shelby Wells, I think, is um, something that I really connect with is, I do like to like um, learn about the saints that have gone before us, but one in particular that's probably my favorites, well, St. Francis is one of my favorites, but my other favorite is St. Patrick. And St. Patrick's breastplate is one of the most amazing prayers that's ever been written. And um, if you've never read it, I encourage you to Google it and read it and really start to engage with it because it's just an amazing prayer. And one of the things, one of the bits in the prayer that um, I often kind of, I just kind of imagine the words of the prayer kind of as I speak them out and it's like you know Christ is with me Christ is before me Christ is behind me Christ is in me Christ is beneath me Christ is above me Christ is on my right Christ is on my left Christ when I lie down Christ when I sit down Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of everybody who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, 
Christ in the eye of every Christ in every eye that sees me and Christ in every ear that hears me. And I just sort of really picture that and engage with that because that's a part of that union thing um, that we're one with him and that we're in Christ. And I often, I think over the last couple of years too, Ephesians chapter one has been a really key thing for me. I often picture myself uh, that I'm in Christ. I step in, I physically like, sometimes I'll just take a step forward and say, okay, I'm in. And as that's really important for me. It's been really important for me. Sometimes I have to remember that I'm in Christ and that we're seated with him in heavenly places and that, you know, our inheritance is in him. There's so many rich things that we can gain from being in Christ and so much power um, and empowerment that he gives us when we're having to carry a cross or having to do life. Yes, it's a really good thing. A fifth thing that I've done is, I think this is um, keeping a sense of humor. It's really important. Um, one of my favorite Seinfeld episodes <laughs> is Serenity Now, Serenity Now. <laughs> so, <laughs> I often kind of walk around through it, Serenity Now, Serenity Now. Um, but laughter is a really good thing. Laughter is really powerful. Did you know that even when you do a fake laugh, it releases good endorphins and it releases endorphins in your body. There's a really healing power that's involved in laughter. And sometimes Paul and I would just, you know, it's like you just have to laugh. You just have to make light of the situation. It just, it's not like you're denying it or whatever, but it just, it just helps sometimes to have, keep your sense of humor. And then um, the sixth thing that happened to me that was really a lifeline, I want to check my time before I, okay, um, was that I took a Father Heart School online just as a refresher in March and one of the things that they do during that school is they, they have a journaling session where you're, they want you to sit down and ask Jesus a question. So they give you a question. So the question they gave me was, Jesus, what would you want to say to me? So when I asked Jesus the question, what I heard back was, I will always be here to help you. And, um, and, I, and I was kind of a bit perturbed at the time because that was kind of a sticky point for me in my life because people weren't, um, people had said they would help me and then they didn't do it. So I, I kind of like, probably not with the best heart attitude, but I just said back to him, okay, look, that's really great. I'm glad that you're gonna be here to help me, but I need it to be tangible. And um, literally within two hours, he proved the first time how tangible it was and that I had to clear clear the dining room to make way for a bed within two hours, and it happened. And that, that included dismantling a dining room table and a bed coming. Um, and that was a real tangible thing that he did to make, show me that he was gonna help me. But the one another example I wanted to share from that was that um, 
the last time Paul was in hospital, we had to clear the dining room out even more. I had um, three huge, it was like wall-to-wall -wall units that were filled with dishes and all sorts of treasures. Um, and I had to clear that out, not only clear the stuff in the cabinets, but I had to get the cabinets moved and um, make space for a hoist and all sorts of other new equipment that was gonna be coming. Um, and we managed to do that. But then the thing was is that I had 15 boxes of stuff that I packed away that I wanted to give to charity. And um, I don't know how this works in the US right now, but in the UK the last year when everybody was locked down, they did a lot of sorting of stuff and charity shops, it's really hard to get them to take anything right now. So I loaded up my car and I just went down to the corner charity shop, which is about a half mile from my house. And they already had a chalkboard sign out that said, sorry, we're not taking anymore. We've reached our quota for the day and come back another time. And um, so I was just started looking online before I drove off to see if I could find any places that might be taking them. And, and I found that there was a charity shop about um, two miles away that would take four of my 15 boxes. And I thought, well, that's that's not all of them, but there's a lot of charity shops on that street. Maybe that's a good place to start. So um, I didn't really want to do, like spend all this time doing this. But anyway, I, um, I drove over there and I picked up the heaviest box and I walked to the door and it was met at the door by one of the volunteers there. And... Um, as he was taking my box, we looked up at each other and we had our masks on. So, you know, it's always not always hard to tell who people are with their mask on. But anyway, as I looked up, I thought, hmm, you look familiar. And then I go, are you Dave Day? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, are you Michelle Gaskin? Yeah. And so, because it was Dave Day, and he knew my situation a little bit, because Dave knows everything, um, he not only took four boxes, he took all 15. And I just thought, God used Dave Day to be my help today, because I really didn't want to spend all this time running around trying to get rid of these boxes. Um, so not only did Dave take all the boxes, but he then stood on the street with me and he prayed for me and he prayed for Paul. Um, so that was a real blessing to me of how Jesus was gonna always be here to help me. And, and since Paul's died, I've just really, you know, really had to cleave to that because there's so many things um, that I've never had to face before. And I don't even, have begun to understand where or how to do that. But Jesus is always here to help us. And I would say that to you too, that in whatever situation you're in, Jesus is always there to help you. And, you know, it's like the number of scriptures, um, especially in the Psalms, Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He's always there to help us. And the, the last one I wanted to share with you of the strategies that I had is one of the things that Paul and I did regularly was take communion together. And um, communion is a wonderful thing that God gave us. And I think sometimes 
it can become a religious exercise and it's a lot more than that there's a lot of mystery involved in it and there's a lot of power and i think um even though you know we we kind of have this thing with the symbols that are represent his body and his blood i think there's something a lot more significant in the spirit that's taking place when we do communion so um one of the things we would use in our communion time together is a prayer that we were taught by our friend Justin Abraham, and he, who lives in Wales. Um, and it's called the Prayer of Entanglement, or he calls it the Kava. And um, the idea of entanglement comes from Isaiah 40, verse 31. And um, that verse is really familiar. I'm sure you all know it. Um, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. And the word for wait um, is kava. It's a Hebrew word, kava. And most literally what it means is um, it's the idea of having a weaker rope that's entwined in with a bigger rope so that the weaker rope becomes strong. And isn't that a great picture of our union with Jesus? That we're this little little rope, this little weak rope that gets made strong when we're entwined in him. And so the prayer um, is a kind of a simple confession of our union with him. And so it goes something like this, I entangle into you. Your life is my life. Your strength is my strength. Your health is my health. Your DNA is my DNA. Your joy is my joy. Your love is my love. Your peace is my peace. Wrapped in you I live. Wrapped in you I move. Wrapped in you, I have my being. Length of days, abundant life. Amen. So we're not alone. He's with us, even when we have to bear a cross. And like I said, I don't know about you, but most of them I can't pick up on my own anyway. So I'm going to need, have to enlist his help. Um, and he wants us, that's the cost of discipleship, I guess, is saying yes to him and I don't know about you but I think as I've gotten older the yes does get easier um, I think there's more knowledge and understanding that my old man is dead my old man was crucified with him you know I remember Nancy Gowdy being at Faith Community about 1998 yeah, she did a whole thing on Galatians 2.20 where we had hand motions and stuff. <laughs> um, so how do we pick up a cross and follow him? For you, God might show you different strategies. Um, but these are a few of the ways that we cope. And were we perfect? By no means. <laughs> um, were we always, our, were we, was this always our first line of defense? No way. Um, there's sometimes I just, screamed and shouted and had a tantrum um to be honest you know being real <laughs> i 
it was overwhelming. There's some days it was just so overwhelming. My plate was so full. I thought, if you put anything more on here, I just can't cope with it. Some days he gave us the grace. You know, every day was grace. And some days it just wasn't any. But he was, we were never alone in it. He was, he was walking with us in it and helping us to carry our cross. So in closing, I would like to um, play a song that we had at Paul's funeral that our friend Godfrey Bertel um, sang so we could play it at our Paul's celebration of life. And um, it's the song of entanglement. It's called Entangle. And um, I think Joseph, Joseph can do it up. And then at the end, I'd like to come back and just pray for us. Hi, sorry I can't be with you today in Bristol for the celebration of Paul's life. What a lovely guy. Uh, I said to Michelle I'd uh, love to send a song, and this is one she requested, and it's called Entangled. I entangle into you. Your life is my life. Your strength is my strength, your health is my health, I entangle into you, I entangle into you, your love is my love, your joy is my joy, your peace is my Right. 
Okay. I hope you I hope you enjoyed that. I um he's one he's one of our favorites, so he's just a good guy. Um I'd like to just pray for us. And I mean I don't know I don't know I can't see any of the congregations, so I don't know who's there today. I don't know um, what your circumstances are, what your situation is. But um, I just want to say, Father, um, I want to thank you that we don't have to do this alone, that Jesus paid the price for us. When he went to the cross, he, he, um, he took our old nature and we were co-crucified with him. And I thank you, Lord, that he promises never to leave us or forsake us, um, that we are on this journey with him through life together and into eternity, ultimately. But I just want to pray for people right now, anyone that might be struggling um, with something that just feels way too big, um, way beyond their ability to pick it up. And just want to ask, Lord, that you would come and be very close to, to anyone in that circumstance right now, that you would just really show yourself strong in them, that they would know that they're entangled in you, that your life is their life, your strength is their strength, your health is their health, that we're wrapped in you like a blanket, that you totally surround us and encompass us, and that we're completely one in you. I just thank you that you are our strength completely. And just thank you that you wanna be there for, for anyone who's going through a trial right now. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you guys for letting me have this opportunity to talk this morning. I hope I landed something. <laughs> Michelle, thank you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, God is good. Lord, we pray that you continue to bring healing and drive all cancer out of Michelle's body. I actually started using that prayer when I got diagnosed. This was the year that I got released from the Carbone Cancer Center, 10 years out. Yay. There's things that are coming, and we aren't necessarily going to uh, avoid adversity. So I think it's really good for us to know how do you go through adversity. And it's still turning back and trusting God, what he tells you, how you hear his voice, and learn how to better and better entangle with him. I think more power. I think God wants to have us moving in more power in this church and seeing more healing and seeing more deliverances and just mindsets freed and addictions gone and his light and glory and truth and love going out and so hopefully um, i don't know if if michelle is on fcbc net but i'll try and just get the entanglement prayer 
to send it down to you. It's just like other crafted prayers. It's a good <laughs> format. But the intent of it is to keep drawing into him, keep coming into oneness, keep coming closer. And Lord, I ask that you just receive us and show us where we put up blocks. Show us when we've decided not to trust you or believe you. We give you permission to awaken us and bring us more into you 